I'm finding myself a little emotional being back in the church today and uh, being able to sing. And uh, I asked Jonathan to play the doxology today because I felt like it fit into a part of what we're talking about today and I just wanted to, uh, to have memories that went around that. When we were in Indiana serving as a youth pastor uh, for those 14 years, um, we would uh, have this kind of same service every day, and it was a little bit more of an old-timey period in the church. And one of the things that would happen every single Sunday, and over time, I just began longing to watch it from the front, which I got to do a lot of the times, is whenever we took the offering, as the offering would come up the aisle, as soon as it would hit the Lord's table that was at the front, the whole congregation would immediately stand to their feet and they would sing the doxology and say, praise God from whom all blessings flow and they would do that. And, and I have to be honest and tell you the reason that I loved so much that moment in church, especially when I was up in front, is I liked to watch the guests. You see, there would be people there that didn't normally, uh, weren't a part of our body. And, and it wasn't in the bulletin and it wasn't ever announced it was just something automatically that this congregation did and you would watch these people kind of at first go what is going on and then they would go from this what is going on moment to to standing and 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 some of them knew the doxology so they'd sing along and others would just kind of stand there and look around because some of the things that we do in church are really odd to people that have never been there. And that was something very unique to that body. And the words of that song, I don't know if you listen today, the doxology are just absolutely gorgeous words. But the other thing that happened in the midst of the body that I served is that this became so automatic and something that we did that I don't think it continued to have the meaning it probably did when it began. You see, it became something that we just did. It's kind of like when I was a kid, at the beginning of every meal, we would say this prayer. It went like this. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let these gifts to you be blessed. Amen. And, and, and at a first when that happened, that would be this incredibly meaningful experience. But over time, it became one long monosyllabic word. And we weren't thinking about what we were saying. We were just thinking about the fact that there was hot food on the table. And if we got this ritual done, then we could eat. Jesus Christ warned us last week in the Sermon on the Mount as we were reading the red letters of the things that he said, Jesus reminded us last week that he wanted to make sure that our faith was a faith that wasn't just practiced before other people, that our faith wasn't just a show, but that there were in many areas of our life there had to be this private, 
hidden, special relationship with the Lord. And in the middle of this righteous warning, he gave a warning also about prayer in specific. We pick it up in verse 7 where he says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. It's interesting that this warning, this idea of heaping up words, um, one of the words that has been used to describe that would be to mumble, to just have a whole bunch of words that you're saying. But in, in this scripture, it's interesting because it, it also speaks of I, the idea of the same concept that was in the Old Testament called babbling. Remember when the Tower of Babel came? And when the Tower of Babel came, this thing happened where there was this change in language so that nobody understood what anyone was saying. When, when I worked at American Express before I came here, uh, my Indian friends would always kind of get really kind of frustrated when we were in meetings and the meetings would go too long and everybody had to have something to say. And one of them, his name was, was George, would look at me and he says, oh, I hate these meetings. Bulla, 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 bulla. And I was like, what in the world does that mean? In the Indian language, bulla, bulla, bulla is the same thing as us saying blah, blah, blah. And Jesus Christ, in this warning about prayer, is telling the people, make sure your prayers aren't just a bunch of bulla, bulla, bulla. Blah, blah, blah. Because even around them, there were these, these mantras or these, these ways that people would say things repetitively, hoping that maybe their God, little g, would hear. Instead, he says this in verse 8. He says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows you ne- what you need before you ask. In other words, he's saying, Don't be like them because you don't have to bug your God to get what you need. You don't have to have certain little incantations that you have to say so that your God will understand what you need. The reality is this. Even before you pray, your God knows you so very well that He already knows everything you need. Have you ever walked into a place where people know you well? We were talking to some friends and we were talking about Stephen. And Stephen has an incredible relationship with the Palace Theater here in town. He goes several times a week. And when he goes up to the concession stand, instead of my experiences where they say, what do you want? They look at Stephen and they say, do you want the usual? You see, they know what his needs are because he has a great relationship with the theater. And so when he comes to that concession stand, they already know what he wants. When I go to the downtown diner in town and the waiter that I usually have comes to the table, he looks at me and he says, Reuben, right? (laughs) You see, we have a relationship so he already knows what my needs are. And so he's saying, you don't have to be like other people who have this idea that God is far away and if I bug him right and if I say the right things and I do the right things, maybe he will listen to me. No. He says, we have, uh, look at the word there. 
You have a father who knows what you need before you ask. And then Jesus Christ does something that we have turned into the very thing that he just warned us against. Jesus Christ gives us a model prayer. And in verse 9, he starts talking about it, and he says, when you pray, pray like this. Now, that's the translation in the ESV, but I, I like the translation in the NIV because I think it's more what this is about. It says, then this is how you should pray. You know, I think that we have taken the Lord's Prayer, these next verses, many of you grew up around them, many of you know them, many of you are in church settings where they share these words every single week, but they've turned into something, instead of being meaningful, they've turned into something meaningless because we missed the point of why Jesus Christ taught us the Lord's Prayer. It wasn't so we would pray those words, although those are great words, But in those words, we would see how to pray. Now, let me just tell you this at the beginning here. One of the things that's really interesting about these red words of of Jesus is oftentimes, if you take a look at the red words in the Bible, the thing that you're going to find is, if you have a Bible like mine, there's going to be all these little tiny letters that are right around it. Now, those little tiny letters tell you other verses that might be quoted in that passage. The interesting thing about the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer that we're going to read, is that Jesus wasn't quoting anything. This was all original thinking. These were original thoughts. So you have to remember, you have these whole bunch of people, they're sitting around, they're listening to this message, they've already been hearing these real radical thoughts from Jesus. Now he's going to tell them how to pray, but he's not going to take one of the prayers of the Jewish faith and say, this is how you pray. He's going to give them new words to pray, and he's going to say the point of this, this is how you should pray, not exactly what. So there are are six ideas, six, there we go. There are six ideas in this passage that explain what should be a part of us having a meaningful prayer life. So let's go on and take a look at the end of verse 9. First of all, We need to know the God that we talk to or that you talk to. He starts out by saying, Our Father in heaven. Now, it's interesting that the word Father is there because Jesus Christ was talking about the kind of relationship that we would have. The word Father here would be equivalent to the word in our language, Daddy or Papa. Our Father in heaven. And he was speaking of an interesting idea. He wasn't speaking of an idea that, that there was an inclusion here. The word our is important. One of the things that each one of us needs to come to grasp with is that we have a heavenly Father. And that He's our Father. And then he speaks of this reality that God does not live here. This isn't His home. But our Father is in heaven. Now, in those words is wrapped up so very much, but here's the reality. Um, I I have many really, really good friends. And when I sit down and talk to my really good friends, 
there is a language that I use in that conversation that I don't use when I'm uptown talking to a clerk I don't know. There's an intimacy to that language. One of the things that has to be true is that he was challenging us to know our Father. If you're going to have great conversations with God, you've got to know who He is. You've got to know what He's like. The second phrase in this comes in verse, at the end of the verse, and he says, Hallowed be your name. It's interesting that if you go back to the Ten Commandments, that one of the commandments that speaks of God says that we're not supposed to take His name in vain. In other words, his name isn't supposed to get to the point that it has no meaning to us. It's kind of the same concept that Jesus was speaking against at the beginning of this warning where he says, I don't want you to have meaningless prayers. But instead, we're supposed to take a look at God, and when we think about God, we're supposed to think about his holiness. I I always think of the story of my father-in-law whenever I think of this. I think of that Sunday that my father-in-law walked the aisle of his church somewhere in his 70s. And his pastor looked at him. Here was a man who was a deacon and a leader and a Sunday school teacher in the church. And all of a sudden he was standing up front in a traditional Southern Baptist church where mainly you came there to get saved or to become a member. And he looked at my father-in-law and he goes, why? And my father-in-law said this as he wept. I am here because God is holy and I am not. I think that there has to be a part of our prayer life where when we are in the presence of God, it isn't a casual thing, but it's an incredibly meaningful thing. And this phrase reminds us that we are not talking to our brother We are talking to the Creator of heaven and earth. And in our conversations, we should give Him compliments and we should give Him glory. He goes on and says, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A part of what He was teaching the people is that we have to acknowledge our place Our place is that we are not in charge. We are not the ones that get to decide everything. But we can go to the God who is absolutely in control of everything. And we can say that as your child, I'm willing to trust and submit to surrender to what you know is best for me. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As I continue to grow in my relationship with the Lord, I become a little less concerned about making sure that I get my way and I get a lot more concerned that I'm doing things His way and I'm understanding what He wants. I can remember being in a group prayer one day as a youth pastor with some other guys. And in my prayer I said, and dear God, we give you permission to do this. And the guy next to me just starts cracking up and he goes, you have the authority to ask God to do something? The reality is I don't. And I need to acknowledge my place. 
And in verse 11, he says this. He says, give us this day our daily bread. You know, in the Jewish culture of that day, it was different than our culture because basically if you worked for somebody, you got paid by the day. So if you worked for me today, I paid for you by today. Like my son, David, he does yard work for people and different things. He usually gets paid by the day. Most of us don't live in that world anymore. Our, our paycheck magically appears once a month or once a week or bi-weekly. And we, re- we, we start thinking that we are the one that's in charge of the reason we have that. And what Jesus Christ is saying here is that every day we need to acknowledge that it is God in His provision that gave us the job that gives us our paycheck. That gave us the paycheck that gives us our food. That gives us a paycheck that gives us our clothes and the car that we drive and the things that we love to do and even the very machine that you are on right now that gives you the opportunity to be in His house. And He's telling us that we need to be a grateful people and we need to acknowledge the fact that not some of us are more brilliant than others so the needs are met differently, but Ultimately, it is a God that meets our needs. He, he goes on and he says something really kind of interesting, and, 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 and I think that we've struggled here. He says that another part of this model prayer or these ideas that we need to pray about is we need to ask forgiveness for our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Now the debts that we have before God that are our sins, they're every single moment where we all of a sudden decide, I'm going to freelance today. Instead of doing what God wants, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to, I'm going to rebel just a little bit today because I know that God really wants me to love and care, but I'm having a bad day, so I'm giving myself permission to rebel against what God wants. You know, that, that's the hardest part about all this. And when I have conversations with people, at some point, if we start talking about God, a lot of them will say, well, you know, I'm a good person. I, I think he will probably see the goodness in me. And the bottom line is that when God looks down at us, he doesn't see our goodness. He sees our failures and our, our willingness to step aside from what he wants What God sees is what separates us from Him. And Jesus Christ was challenging us to acknowledge that. You say, well, why is that important? Well, it's important in every relationship. If I really hurt you or offend you, for me to ignore that builds a wall in our relationship, does it not? To pretend that it never happened? You see, there are lies that we buy into. Time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. We know that. Because many of you will have the experience of being wounded at some point in your life and either having some other kind of experience or another experience with that person and it will rip the scar off of that, that scab off of that because it is not healed. God is calling us. And Jesus is telling us that in our relationship with the Father... We need to acknowledge the fact that we need His forgiveness. You know, God already knows all our needs and He knows everything about us, but there is a great joy that He has when we come to Him and we say, you know what, God? 
I love you. And I messed up. Will you forgive me? And we reestablish that fellowship in that relationship instead of letting something stand in the way. But Jesus Christ goes a little bit further here. And, and I think that sometimes we like to just stop at the first part of this because he says not only are we supposed to ask forgiveness, but we're supposed to forgive people that hurt us. That, that's, that's not easy. That, that's a hard thing. In fact, this was so important to him in the teaching that he went back and he said this in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. It's, it's kind of scary to realize how tied our horizontal relationships are to our vertical relationship with the Lord. He goes on later in Matthew and he talks about the, the, the great landlord who forgives the large debt and yet the person that lived there wouldn't forgive a small debt of another person. And he talks about the problem with that. Jesus Christ is doing a harder teaching and I think that sometimes we overlook this part. But a part of our prayer lives have to be an honesty, first of all, saying, dear God, I have offended you. But dear God, i got to be honest and tell you that I'm a little sensitive. And there are sometimes people offend me. And God, will you help me to be a forgiver of people? Will you help me forgive them? You know, Peter asked about this at one time. He says, you know, Jesus, I was wondering how many times we have to forgive our brothers. Like seven? And Jesus Christ went on and said, no, you need to forgive 70 times seven. Your life needs to be wrapped in the idea that no matter what happens, that you're going to be a forgiver. So we need to seek complete forgiveness and for complete forgiveness in our prayer life and in our relationship with the Lord comes not only in receiving His forgiveness, but being willing to be a forgiver ourselves. The last thing that he prays is this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this is sometimes considered a more controversial part because we know in other scriptures it says that God doesn't tempt anyone. And the idea here is that Jesus is kind of speaking in a hyperbole. He's saying, God, you, you're not going to lead us in that direction, but, but help us to make sure that we're going in the other direction and that we're coming before you today and we're saying, dear God, please help me make good decisions. I, I, I know that you've heard it before from me, but I love what is, is said in the book um, by, by um, Paul Th- Thomas, who says this, he says that we have the choice every moment as we walk with the Lord to walk into every room spreading the joy of His glory or bringing the darkness of our poor choices into that room. That's a, that's a big thought, and that's a part of what it's saying here. It's saying, dear God, as I go through my day today, I want to choose the holy options. I, I want to make the holy choices. 
When, when I'm at the stop sign and the person behind me thinks that I should go, so they're helping me with their horn. I, I need to have the holy choice about the person behind me. When, when I walk into the store and I realize that everybody's wearing a mask, and except that guy over there, I, I need to make the holy choice to love him when, when I, I'm going through what I'm going through and it seems like everything is going okay for other people, but it's not going well for me, I, I need to make the holy choices in each one of those moments. When I'm tired at the end of the day and, and I, I just want to have a little peace and I turn on the television, I, I need to make holy choices. When I bring up my computer screen, I need to make holy choices. And so God, will you deliver me from the evil and the horrible choices that I could make so that you can lead me in another way? So when we take a look at what he is saying here, he says meaningful prayer basically has Six different parts to it. He's saying that, first of all, we have to know the God that we talk to. Second of all, we have to know how to glorify Him. We have to acknowledge our place that He's in charge and we are not. We have to acknowledge our daily needs and realize that everything we have isn't because we're brilliant or we're special, but because God is gracious and He gives every good gift We need to seek complete forgiveness, which means not only do we need to make sure our relationship is right with the Father, but we need to have a heart of forgiveness with our brothers and sisters and neighbors and co-workers. And we need to seek daily guidance because every day has to be a spiritual walk instead of just an earthly walk. But I want you to notice one other thing. If you look back over this prayer, this isn't a personalized prayer. It says, Our Father, give us, lead us. You see, it signifies something really interesting. It signifies the fact that we are supposed to live in community. The Lord's Prayer isn't just a personal experience. It's supposed to be a group experience. Do you have a brother or sister that you get through together with and you can be really honest with and you can help them, they can help you pray this way? You know, one of the greatest joys of my life is some accountability where I can go to someone and say, I'm not very good at this and I I struggle in this way and I'm choosing the evil path instead of the right path. Can you pray for me and help me? The hour signifies this idea that God wasn't, Jesus wasn't just talking about something individually that happens, but Jesus was talking about community. You know, if you think about this in the United States, we would probably like to change the prayer to something like this My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread, and forgive my debts as I forgive those who are my debtors and lead me not in temptation but deliver me from evil but that is not it's not the focus that jesus gave this 
And the reason that's important for the second reading is the other thing is that the hour infers something so incredibly important. It infers adoption. You know, the thing that's happening out there right now, for some of you, you're going, well, I'm glad that God is your father, but I'm not really sure that he's my father. I want you to know that God's greatest desire wasn't just to be my father, but it was to be your father so we could be our father. Jesus Christ died on the cross to give us the opportunity to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. God's message to you as His message to us to many who sat on that grassy mound where he, he gave this sermon at the beginning, God's message to you is that He wants to be your Father today. He wants to have a relationship with you. And that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross to take the punishment for your sin so that you could have relationship with God. It starts with the simple prayer of acknowledging the fact that you are a sinner that you have offended God, that you've built a wall between yourself and Him by your rebellion and your unwillingness to do the things that even in your hearts of hearts you know He tells you to do. And then it's a willingness to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior so that God can adopt you by the power of the cross into your family. You know, if you've never made that decision, you could do that right now. I encourage you to, and I implore you to consider becoming a person of the kingdom, a follower of Jesus Christ by asking Him to be your Savior. And if you make decisions like that, right there in the description of this YouTube video, there's a link that you can click on and and we will send you information and we will help you however we can. You see, the reality is is that God is calling us into having meaningful prayer. And the reason that God is calling us to have meaningful prayer is because it's based on a meaningful relationship with the God who died for us and desires to walk alongside of us in every day of life. So it's time for an inventory. Uh, I took a look at this list and I thought, you know, God, sometimes you're just a cosmic Santa to me. And I'm, I'm throwing Hail Marys out to you and going, oh, dear God, please fix this because I really messed it up. But I am challenged to the idea that I need to make my prayer life a meaningful experience with the dearest friend that I have. Let's pray together. God, when you uh, teach on praying, it's a challenge to just come to prayer. I'm so glad that more than just having an earthly father, that you are our heavenly father. And God, we're, we're learning more about you each day and we're finding it easier to trust you each day and we're, we're learning how to honor you. And God, I... I look forward to the day that we will fall at your feet 
and you will praise you. Dear God, there was something absolutely mysterious and wonderful in just getting to sing a little bit today. Thank you for that opportunity to worship the God that created us. God, I pray that you would help us to have a meaningful prayer life, an intimate prayer life, and that we would be able to experience the incredible intimacy that this great model of prayer calls us into. God, for some of us that are struggling being forgivers, God, supernaturally help us become forgivers. For some of us that have forgotten that you supply our daily needs and and in this time of COVID, we have become very nervous about our finances. God, give us the peace of knowing that you're our provider. God, help us to stop living by our own agenda and freelancing this, this this life experience, God, and help us to understand the purpose and will you have for us and the unique opportunities that you lay out before us to partner with you in life and in love and relationships. God, I pray for those that do not have a relationship with you. And I pray that they would today ask you to be their personal Savior and enter into the world of our Father, that they would be included in this great family that we call the family of God. God, may they bend to your will today. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I, I, I hope that I'm not um, putting you in a bad spot, but one of the things that we wanted to do, because it is the first Sunday of the month, is take communion together. And so I'm going to ask Jonathan to come up and pray. And I'm going to remind you that God's Word says that this is an opportunity for meaningful prayer. Because when we come to the communion table, we're supposed to examine ourselves in our relationship with the Lord. So as Jonathan plays a little bit, and as maybe you scramble a little bit to find a little piece of bread and something to drink, um, I hope that you also take the time to prepare your hearts to be reminded of Christ's sacrifice. To make sure you're entering back into the meaningful relationship that God has for you. So take these moments. Prepare your hearts and your elements. And in just a little bit, we'll celebrate communion together.
I hope you heard in this lesson on the Sermon on the Mount today the cry of God's heart. The cry of God's heart is that He wants a meaningful relationship with us. I remember talking to one young man. I said, how do you think you and God are doing? He says, well, I'm not a very good friend to God. It broke my heart. I still believe in Him, and I still think I'm on the plane somewhere, but I'm just not a very good friend to God. Wow. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could have casual relationships with the Father. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we could have meaningful, intimate relationship with the Father. Jesus Christ's body was broken so that you could have closeness with the God that had to turn away from you. This is His body which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Him. The cup reminds us of the sacrifice that's necessary for God to forgive, which is shed blood. And in the teaching today, we found out that vertical forgiveness is not enough. As you think about the cup today, think about that brother that is hard to forgive, that sister that hurt you, that neighbor, that friend, that person. Maybe they're not even living anymore, but somehow they live in your head all the time because of the broken relationship that you have not been willing to bring to a relationship of forgiveness. And call out to the God that forgave your sins and say, God, not only do I want your sins today, your, your, your cross today to cover my sins, but I want it to help me forgive the people that sinned against me. This cup is a new covenant in His blood. It represents absolute forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. Do this in remembrance of Him. Dear God, everything you taught us, we can turn from meaningful to just a a ritual. We can turn the powerful into bulla bulla all the time, God. God, help us move from the casual nature that most of us have to passionate deep, meaningful relationship with you and those around you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Just a couple things as we close today. Um, uh, And the slides aren't working now, so if you can just push them forward for me, I'd appreciate it. Um, If you missed last week, um, I want to remind